Good morning. This morning we're going to be reading from Psalm 36. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. This is the word of the Lord. Let me open up by asking you a question. Who do you compare yourself to? We often compare ourselves to people we admire, maybe our loved ones. You, can, you, you want to be like your grandmother or your grandfather. You want to be like your favorite uncle um, or your parent. Uh, we compare ourselves sometimes to celebrities. I remember as a young musician, I used to compare myself to Billy Joel. Uh, now as an older uh, man, as a pastor, I'm tempted to compare myself to pastors, to other pastors. Uh, we also try and compare ourselves to leaders in our own field or discipline. So who do you compare yourself to? Now what happens when you don't measure up? When we don't measure up to people we admire, to standards we uh, set for ourselves, we get discouraged or, or we say we get down on ourselves. Now what happens when you do measure up? What happens when you outperform, when you outmatch the person you're trying to emulate? We're pleased with ourselves, right? We say things like, I'm proud of myself. Now, I want to clarify something. It's not a bad thing to want to imitate or to emulate people with admirable qualities. That's not a bad thing. The problem is finding your worth by whether or not you measure up. And this is a particularly dangerous thing comparing ourselves, and then judging ourselves based on whether we measure up or whether we do not, uh, this is a particularly dangerous thing when we find ourselves in conflict or in a disagreement or when we find ourselves in the midst of a controversy. Because the standards by which you judge yourself, you also judge others. The Bible calls it what we all call it, self-righteousness. Self, 
being self-righteous is, is really judging other people by your own standard, what seems right to you. The standard by which we judge ourselves, we typically judge others, even those who are our adversaries. What you and I really need is a good standard. We need a right standard, a true standard, an objective standard for making comparisons. And what I think is quite surprising about Psalm 36 is that it opens up with a description of the wick, a wicked person, right? This is what the wicked person is like. It starts with a description of the wicked, but then it, it doesn't compare the wicked with the righteous, which is typically what you'd expect in an Old Testament passage. That's a common theme in, in the Psalms and in Old Testament wisdom literature, a comparison of the wicked and the righteous. Like Psalm 1, verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There you have it. But, but Psalm 36 doesn't do that for most, most of the psalm. Rather, Psalm 36 compares the wicked with God. God is the very opposite of wickedness. So we find that you need that objectivity and you get that objective standard, not by comparing other people to yourself, especially people you don't like, especially people you disagree with, especially with people who mistreat you and are utterly different than you. You don't compare them to yourself, you compare them to God. That's important. That's key. And here in Psalm 36, we find a great bit of wisdom that gives us freedom from the tyranny of living by comparisons. Whether we match up or whether we fall short, whether other people fall short or match up to us. And here it is. The best remedy for self-righteousness is God's righteousness. That's what we're going to talk about today. The best remedy for self-righteousness, for, for being right in your own eyes and judging other people according to your view on things, the best remedy for that is to see everything in light of God's righteousness. And we're going to do what the psalmist does. We're going to meditate on wickedness, and then we're going to meditate on righteousness, because that's what he does in Psalm 36. But then we're going to respond after meditating on the difference between wickedness and righteousness, we're going to respond to the vast difference between the two. Okay, Psalm 36 offers a meditation on wickedness. Remember what meditation is. The Psalms help us meditate, which is to think about who we are in light of who God is. To think about it, to chew on it. Uh, to bring it up in your mind again and again uh, and again throughout the day. Meditation. And here's a meditation on what wickedness is, what it looks like. And the psalmist observes that the mindset and the motivations and, and the habits of a wicked person emanate from really what the essence of evil is. And you see it in verse 1. This is the essence of wickedness. He says, there is no fear of God before his eyes. When you hear the word fear, don't, don't think terror, think reverence. There is no reverence for God before his eyes. The ancient Hebrew poets and prophets had contemporaries in other ancient societies, in, in Greece, um, in the Mediterranean, in, in the Near East, in the Middle East. 
And so the Hebrew poets and prophets were surrounded by contemporaries who believed that the gods were either very distant, so distant that they really didn't factor into the human experience, or that they were close but exploitable. The gods were were around, they were approachable, but really you had to kind of you had to try and manipulate them into blessing you and 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 protecting you. Uh, so the Hebrew prophets and poets didn't believe that about the God of Israel. They believed that he was near and that true life, true blessing was found in acknowledging him and revering him. And actually, Tim and Kathy Keller say, sin shrugs at God. Its essence is failing to believe, not that he exists, but that he matters. A good way of looking at somebody who does not fear God is to say that ultimately they don't really think God matters, that that his opinion, that his presence really counts in their life. But it was, it was the teacher in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, who said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, however, fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, the ancient Hebrews, they believed that foolishness is not a matter of unintelligence. Foolishness is, is not a matter of stupidity. Foolishness is a matter of pride and arrogance. So without an existent accurate view of God. You have no true objective stand you have no true objective standard for making comparisons. How's the president doing? Uh, how's your teacher? How's your teacher doing? How's your parent doing? How's your boss doing? I don't know who do we compare them to? The the the, the person who they replaced? The person who we admire the most? How do we make comparisons without an accurate existing view of a good, perfect God. We can't. We can't make any objective comparisons. So the essence of evil is really living by a false standard. Wickedness is living by a fake example of what really matters, of what's good, of what is right, of what is true. That, that's what sin is. Adam and Eve in the garden, when they fell from grace, They swapped standards. They did away with God as the standard of all truth and goodness and beauty, and they made the serpent the standard. Ultimately, Adam and Eve made themselves, humanity, the standard for what is right and good and true and beautiful. And so in verse 2, this is what it says about the wicked person. He flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated flatters himself in his own eyes. That really is self-righteousness. Flatter yourself in your own eyes. See, self-righteousness is not only found in religious people and churchgoers. Self-righteousness is is found in secular people. It's found in unbelievers. Self-righteousness is found in everybody. Self-righteousness is judging yourself as right in your own eyes, right? Self-righteousness is You've become the standard. You're the standard by which you judge others. Self-righteousness says things like this to yourself. I'm healthy enough to not need God. I'm young enough. I'm beautiful enough to not really need God. Or I'm wealthy enough. I'm comfortable enough. 
I'm educated enough to not need God. I'm liked, I'm admired, I'm followed enough to not need a personal God. And here's probably the most dangerous thought of all. I'm good enough to not need God. I'm basically a good person. At least I know I'm really not a bad person. The Bible helps us to see that evil, that wickedness, is not reserved for just tyrants and bullies and rapists. Wickedness, evil, is present in every decent, likable person who quietly makes God irrelevant in their mind. Now, what's critical to understand is is that Psalm 36 transitions to meditating on righteousness. It's been meditating on wickedness, now on righteousness. But here's the thing. Psalm 36 doesn't compare the wicked to the righteous. It compares the wicked to God. And that's what you and I have to do to obtain an objective standard. Um, When you look at verse 5, and for most of the psalm, uh, the psalmist just gives it to us straight. He basically says, God is simply wonderful. The creator of the universe is wonderful and in so many ways. And so he meditates now on the goodness and beauty and glory and majesty and compassion of our creator. Verses 5 and 6, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. The psalm uses nature and creation to illustrate God's matchless qualities. So his love, or his covenant love, right, his enduring, committed love, uh, his love and his faithfulness uh, are like the heavens, are like the clouds, which, which we see everywhere and we know are limitless. So God's love and faithfulness is uncontainable. His righteousness is like the mountains. Think of the Rockies. Think of the Alps or the Himalayas. They're immovable. They're unchanging. And so is God's righteousness. It can't be moved. He can't be moved. He remains the same. He's consistent. He's sturdy. He's immovable. His judgments or his justice is like the deep, the great deep, the bottom of the sea, the bottom of the ocean. You know, it's unsearchable. For the ancients, they couldn't get down there. It was mysterious. What they're saying here is God's justice is so great that humans can't fully comprehend it. His wisdom is unsearchable. But the psalmist goes on. Verse 7, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. So God is also matchless, not only because of his nature, he is matchless in how he blesses people. He protects humanity. He feeds us. He gives us life. He gives us wisdom. So now, it should be obvious, it should be logical, actually, to consider wickedness Godlessness as foolish. 
Godlessness, in light of who God is, really is foolish. Why wouldn't you want a a God like this to know you, to instruct you, and to protect you, and to lead you in your life? So, when we see the world's depravity, right? When, when, when you look out at people and you look at this world and you look at the systems of this world and you're just at a loss and you're discouraged or you're angry, when you see the world's depravity, meditate on God's goodness. When you find yourself meditating on the evil and the wickedness and the corruption and the deceit and the sadness and the misery out there, start meditating on God's wonderful nature. That's the best alternative to dwelling on and obsessing over the wickedness around you in an unproductive way. And meditating on God's wonderful nature is the best antidote for taking pride in yourself, which is the very root of wickedness. Taking pride in yourself is the root of evil. And, and I have to ask you this now. I've asked you, you know, who, who do you compare yourself to? But now let me ask you another question. Are you preoccupied with yourself? I'm not asking you, are you a narcissist? I'm just saying, are you preoccupied with yourself? Whether you are a follower of the God of the Bible, or whether you don't believe. And I'm glad you're here. If, if you're not a Christian, if, if you're not convinced about the God of the Bible, I'm glad you're here. But whoever you are, are you preoccupied with yourself? Are you doing... Are you doing what Psalm 36 does not do? Are you comparing yourself to the wicked? Are you comparing the wicked to yourself? Are you looking at their behavior, their affiliations, who who they're friends with, who 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 they walk with, who they run with? What's their reputation? What's their record? What's their worldview? What's their status? What do they say? What do they post? What do they share? Are you looking at them? And are you comparing them and what, what, what is distasteful about them to you? What bothers you about them? Are you comparing them to yourself? Because that's what Psalm 36 does not do. And doing this, comparing the wicked or comparing those who trouble you or who frighten you or who disgust you or who sadden you, comparing them to yourself is the worst thing you and I can do. It's making a terrible mistake and it's falling for a very old trick. That the God of this world, the devil, according to the Bible, uh, has been playing on us from the beginning of time. This is what we do when we compare the wicked to ourselves. We, we seem to think that, that, that we're better than them. And, and uh, we, we make the mistake of seeming better to ourselves than those who seem worse. It was C.S. Lewis's Uncle Screwtape, uh, this, this veteran demon uh, who has all this advice for, uh, for his nephew and, and all of these demons. And in a public speech to a bunch of demons and devils, Uncle Screwtape basically tells all of them, all you've got to do is convince human beings again and again to be obsessed with the idea that I'm as good as you. Just get people to say that to themselves as they think about others. In every area of life, I'm as good as you. Comparisons. Comparing ourselves based on wrong standards. 
who is the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, who basically said that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you are blind to the glory of God, then you have no choice but to live by comparisons. If you're blind to who God truly is, then then your only choice is to compare yourself to other people and to compare other people to yourself or to compare other people to those you admire. Bottom line is whatever standard you have, it's a false standard. It's a fake example and you're living by it and you're blind to the glory of God which is the only objective standard by which any of us can live. But the person who compares others to God, not to herself, not to himself, the person who compares himself, herself, to God and not to others, sees clearly. See, when you compare yourself and when you compare other people to God, now you see clearly. Because what you see when you compare everybody, including yourself, to a holy God is Nobody can cast a stone. Nobody can sit in judgment in their own eyes when you compare everything to the standard of a holy God. You recognize what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. And friend, now you're ready. Now you're ready to respond to what God is saying in Psalm 36. Now you're ready to respond to this chasm between wickedness and righteousness. The psalmist in verse 10 responds to this immense contrast between wickedness and righteousness. He responds by rightly seeking God. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. See, we must realize what the psalmist realizes when you look at the difference between wickedness and a righteous God, you have to run to this God. You must respond to wickedness this way. Wickedness should drive us to a holy, perfect God. And this is why that has to be your response, friend, because the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the the book, the wise teacher says this, look, the end of the matter after everything's been heard is this, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The gospel or the good news of the Bible of Christianity is this. There is one person who displays both God's righteousness, his perfect standard, and God's forgiveness for human wickedness. There is somebody who displays both the righteousness of God and the forgiveness and justice that God brings to humanity's wickedness. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. See, Paul is saying right there, we're not about judging everybody in our own eyes. We're not trying to set ourselves up as the standard. We're setting Jesus Christ, we're setting Jesus up as the standard. 
He says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There is a standard. There is a perfect standard. And the Creator has shown it to us by becoming one of us. Jesus Christ represents, is, shows us the perfect, matchless, wonderful standard of God's righteousness. So when you look at Jesus Christ, you say to yourself, (laughs) my righteousness is like filthy rags compared to a holy God. That's what you say when you look at Jesus. When you judge other people and you judge yourself compared to Jesus, you say, everybody, my best attempts are like filthy rags compared to his holiness. And when you look at Jesus, you also say, my wickedness is forgiven by a loving God who became one of us, who died in my place, who rose from the dead to to show that reconciliation really is possible with a perfect God and sinful humanity. When you look at Jesus, you, you can say, my own righteousness is filthy compared to his. And you say, my wickedness is forgiven because of his love and sacrifice for me. The wickedness of humanity should drive us to a holy God who shows us his perfection and his compassion in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, the best remedy for self-righteousness is God's righteousness. Another way of saying that is the best remedy for wickedness is Jesus. When you see wickedness in other people and in the world, and when you grieve over it, and when you wonder in in desperate, sad amazement that the world is so depraved. Friend, in that moment, you need to meditate on more than just that. You need to meditate on all of God's wonderful qualities. You see, in Jesus, we find hope and courage, and wisdom to endure all the wickedness around us. And in Jesus, we also find forgiveness and love and power to kill the wickedness that is in us. And finally, in Jesus, we find gratitude and we find humility and patience to love our enemies. Wickedness is real. And the bad news is that it's in you. It's not just out there. It's not just in them. It's in you. The good news is that Jesus Christ died for wicked people. The righteous one was put on a Roman cross as a substitute for wicked humanity. And if you follow him, and if you find your ultimate sense of the perfect standard in Jesus and not in yourself and not in anybody else. The Bible says, the Bible says you're saved. Saved from what? Saved from having to stand before a holy God one day and, 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 and have to hear these words. Friend, comparing, compare, when I compare you to my perfect standards, I find you greatly lacking.
And then Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Do you want to hear your creator say that to you? Depart from me, I never knew you. No, you want to hear your creator say this. When I look at my perfect standards, I judge you in the light of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You want Christ's standard for perfection to guide you and defend you. You want to find yourself in Christ. You want to be judged as as Jesus himself. Perfection, holiness, justice, wisdom, beauty, goodness. You want to be judged that way. You want to be found in those ways. And if you trust in Christ, in his death and resurrection, you will be. You will be judged by the perfect standard and found innocent and righteous, not in your own eyes, in God's eyes, the perfect standard. That's what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus. You don't live by comparing yourself to other people. You don't live by comparing your enemies to yourself, which is a bunch of baloney. You live by Christ's righteousness alone. And you see everything and you see everybody in light of the perfection of Jesus Christ. You say, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to compare other people to myself. Jesus alone is worthy to survive comparisons. And when you find yourself in him, when he takes you, when he protects you, when he loves you, now you're safe. And, and, and you can be thankful. You can be thankful that you're forgiven. And when you look at other people, you're, not, you're tempted less to judge them and compare them to yourself. You say, in the light of a holy God, I'm just as bad, I'm just as wicked. And now you have patience and you have humility and you can forgive your enemies and you can love your enemies. Jesus came to save wicked people. Know that you're wicked, but know that you're forgiven in Christ. That is the true standard by which we see ourselves. The best remedy for self-righteousness is God's righteousness. Let's pray. Father, help us to find ourselves in Jesus Christ alone, righteous in him alone, not not righteous in our own eyes, in our own wisdom, in our own accomplishments, but in him alone. Help us to see others in light of his glory. Uh, Father, help us to forgive others. Help us to be patient with others because we have no right to stand before you except for the grace of Jesus Christ. Help us to live by his grace and see ourselves only in the light of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen.